Ray Bradbury is back on Planetary Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Matt Kaplan. We welcome you back to another installment of our show, presented, as always, by the Planetary Society. Special greetings go out to all of our new listeners at WMUH in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We hope you'll join us each week on this continuing mission of exploration. You're in good company. Planetary Radio has attracted a family of regulars all over the world. By the way, you can find every past program at planetary.org slash radio. That's planetary.org slash radio, part of the Planetary Society's comprehensive website. We'll tell you how to send us your comments and questions at the end of today's show. And you've picked a good week to get acquainted. We'll hear from beloved author, playwright, poet, and eternal optimist Ray Bradbury in just a couple of minutes. Bruce Betts will be here toward the end of our half hour with What's Up, his regular helping of universal truths, madness, and space trivia contests. Yes, we give away a Planetary Radio t-shirt every week, but you have to work for it. Let's get started, as we usually do, with a visit from the Planetary Society's Emily Lakdawalla. Here's part one of her regular feature, Q&A. She's got rocks in her head, Martian rocks. I'll be right back with Ray Bradbury at Yuri's Night. Hi, I'm Emily Lakdawalla with questions and answers. A listener asked, News reports about meteorites from Mars claim to show that Mars had a warmer, wetter environment in the past, or even that it had life. But how do scientists know that the meteorites came from Mars? Chemical analysis of meteorites found on Earth can reveal their Martian origin. We have direct observations of the chemical composition of the Martian atmosphere from the Viking landers. These observations include measurements of the amounts of different isotopes of hydrogen and oxygen. Because Mars has lost much of its original atmosphere to space, heavy isotopes of hydrogen and oxygen are more concentrated in Mars's atmosphere than Earth's atmosphere. When we measure the isotopes of hydrogen and oxygen from water and gas pockets trapped deep within the meteorites, the chemical signature is very similar to that observed by the Viking spacecraft on Mars. What else can we learn from Mars meteorites? Stay tuned to Planetary Radio to find out. The first celebration of Yuri's Night was just three years ago. April 12, 2001 was the 40th anniversary of humankind's first trip into space. Cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin looked down at a beautiful blue planet and up to the stars. Four decades later, a bunch of smart, inspired young people decided to mark this rite of passage for our species with a global party for space. Over 100 sites on every continent participated, yes, even Antarctica. The worldwide blowout has returned each April 12th with a flagship event in Southern California. This year it attracted an amazing group of celebrants, including first space tourist Dennis Tito and aspiring spacefarer and NSYNC member Lance Bass. Hundreds of space party animals danced the night away, but not until they had heard from the guest of honor. Ray Bradbury has been dreaming about space travel and sharing those fantastic dreams for the last 60 years. Now in his mid-80s, Ray has lost none of his highly contagious optimism and enthusiasm, as you're about to hear. This Planetary Radio exclusive was recorded at the April 12, 2004 Yuri's Night celebration high above Los Angeles International Airport 
in the theme restaurant appropriately named Encounter. First of all, I want to say, I've never seen a more disreputable mob than you. If you think I'm going to give you a serious speech, you're wrong. I hope you've all been drinking vodka, okay? I had a meeting at SE about 20 years ago with a bunch of Russians and a bunch of American writers and editors and publishers. And during that evening, late at night, we were all drinking vodka, and I lifted my glass to them, and I said, F*** Stalin. <laughs> and I repeat it tonight, F*** Stalin. It's ironic to me, it's, it's wonderful that the most totalitarian, destructive nation in the history of the world, Russia, would be the first to free mankind to space. It, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? In the midst of all that destruction and melancholy and sadness and, and the, the keeping of the human spirit that the Russians broke free from Earth and sent us on our way to the stars. It's a terrible irony. And because of them, they inspired us to follow. Huh? If the Russians hadn't done it first, we would never have done it. But that's the way competition runs. You know, back 500 years ago, three Italians headed for India. Huh? Columbus and uh, uh, Giovanni Caboti, John Cabot, and, and uh, a third uh, Italian, and they all were headed to a continent they couldn't imagine. And as a result of that mistake, you've all been born. We're all here tonight because of those three Italians who were headed for India and collided with America. Huh? And so... All the wonderful things that are going to happen in the next few years are going to happen because they began in Russia so many years ago with Yuri. Huh? So, and he stands out as a hero because he was alone with the other people representing the spirit of mankind instead of the spirit of Russia, huh? which was keeping people in prisons. Huh? And so tonight is a very special night because we're going to go on from here. We're going to go back to the moon. We're going to go to Mars, huh? Yeah. The problem is we have very few people in the Congress, in the House of Representatives, or the Senate. We have nobody, nobody to represent our dreams that we talk about tonight. During the next few years, you have to elect people who will come forward and say, I believe in the moon, I believe in Mars. But right now, 
it's our president. He's alone. We have to elect more people who will back him up. So we'll go back to the... We should never have left the moon, huh? We should have stayed there and made it a base to go to Mars. Yeah. So, I, so I hope when we leave here tonight, we go out among the people and say, for God's sake, we've got to go back to the moon. We've got to elect people to help the president. doesn't matter who it is. Right now, we have a president that cares. But the future, the next 10 years, we have to have people to back them up. Now, why are we going to do this? People are always saying to me, we have problems here on Earth. But we had problems in England, France, Spain, and Italy 400 years ago. But still, we made the movement which created America. Why should we be doing this? Because there's this thing in mankind that moves forward. The Smithsonian asked me to come to them 20 years ago to create a new program for the planetarium. I went to see their planetarium show. They put it on for me, and within 10 minutes, the whole auditorium was filled with snoring. Huh? <laughs> and we came out of the planetarium. We went back to the office of the <laughs> Smithsonian, and they said to me, Mr. Bradbury, what's the problem? What are we doing wrong? I said, my God, man, you're teaching instead of preaching. A planetarium is a synagogue. It's a, it's a church. It's a cathedral where we go to worship space and the mystery of mankind on the earth. So for God's sake, stop teaching and start preaching. I'm going to be your preacher. So, so I said, get the hell out of the way and let me write a script for your planetarium which elevates people and fills them with emotion so when they leave the show, they'll buy the book, they'll go to the library, but you have to inspire them to begin with. They said, okay, write the script. So I wrote a 32-page script called The Great Shout of the Universe, The Mystery of Life on Earth Coming to Birth. I turned it into them, and they sent me 28 pages of criticism. <laughs> I called them on the phone. I said, I feel like I'm back at MGM. <laughs> now, why is that? I said, do you want me to help you, or do you, do you want to go back to boring people? I said, now, what's the one thing that bothers you the most? I know I'm unscientific, and I haven't done enough of, of the basic facts for you. They said, well, you've got that thing in there about the Big Big Bang Theory. I said, what did I write? They said, you said the Big Bang occurred 10 billion years ago. I said, when did it occur? They said, 12 billion years ago. I said, prove it. Well, that ruined my relationship <laughs> with, with the Smithsonian. And after about, after about two more weeks, I called them on the phone. I said, let me out. 
How much money do you owe me? <laughs> they said $17,000. I said, give me $7,000 and let me go. Because this is a bad marriage. You don't believe in inspiring people. Let me out. So I got the hell out of there. And I put it in the down at the exhibition park in the Air and Space Museum upstairs is my show, The Great Child of the Universe. It's been playing there now for 20 years. Next time you have a chance, go down and look at it. But thank you. I'll get, I'll, I'll get to my final point here. Looking around at the universe and studying it, I realized the Big Bang Theory is impossible. The universe is too big. It's 10 billion light years in any direction you look. How do you gather enough energy to, big, to make the Big Bang to expand a universe this size? Well, what's my theory? Just as good as theirs, okay? <laughs> my theory is this. The universe has always been here. That's impossible, too. Impossible. We are creatures of an impossible environment. Now, what's lacking here? We've had billions of light years of the universe existing, the cosmos existing. What did it need? It needed us. It needed us. We are the audience for the theater. The theater is the universe. But without an audience to look at it, it doesn't exist. You exist to look at the universe, to celebrate, to witness, to celebrate. That's your job. That's why you're here tonight. You go out of here and you tell people, we want to be the audience to tell people how great it is to be alive in this world at this time. That's what space travel is all about. Huh? Now, without us, the universe does not exist. Because of you, it does. And we're going to go back to the moon, and we're going to go to Mars, and 500 years from now, we'll move on to Alpha Centauri. Now I'm going to get the hell out of here. Ray Bradbury, guest of honor at the Southern California celebration of Yuri's Night, April 12, 2004. I'll be back in a moment with more from that party for space. Stay with us. This is Buzz Aldrin. When I walked on the moon, I knew it was just the beginning of humankind's great adventure in the solar system. That's why I'm a member of the Planetary Society, the world's largest space interest group. The Planetary Society is helping to explore Mars. We're tracking near-Earth asteroids and comets. We sponsor the search for life on other worlds, and we're building the first-ever solar sail. You can learn about these adventures and exciting new discoveries from space exploration in the Planetary Report. The Planetary Report is the Society's full-color magazine. It's just one of many member benefits. You can learn more by calling 1-877-PLANETS. That's toll-free, 1-877-752-6387. And you can catch up on space exploration news and developments at our exciting and informative website, planetarysociety.org. The Planetary Society, exploring new worlds. Planetary Radio continues. I'm Matt Kaplan. 
The annual celebration of the anniversary of human spaceflight is called Yuri's Night. This year, along with Ray Bradbury, it attracted more than its usual share of space luminaries and visionaries. Co-founders Loretta Hidalgo and George Whitesides have been there every year. They've put their hearts and souls into space advocacy everywhere from South Africa to Washington, D.C. In fact, George will be calling the capital home for the foreseeable future as he takes over as head of the National Space Society. We talked about that move as the techno beat pounded in the background at Yuri's Night L.A. on April 12th. So here you go again, Yuri's Night. Tonight was the best ever, Matt. I mean, to have uh, Ray be there in particular. He is the preacher of the space community. And we had him here, you know, and he was testifying. You know, we need more of that in our community, and that's that's uh, just blown away. Yes, it's, uh, he's kind of a high priest, I would say. Ab- absolutely, right. And we are just alkalites in, in the community, in the brethren, you know. George, you're one of the founders of Yuri's Night, but you've moved on to uh, a job in Washington, D.C., the brand-new executive director of the National Space Society. Yeah, I, I uh, just started about uh, a month ago as, as the head of, of NSS. And uh, as, as you know, Matt, uh, NSS was founded in 1974 by uh, the illustrious Werner von Braun and, and since then has sort of grown to become one of the, the leading grassroots space advocacy organizations in the country. And we're really looking forward to engaging on a lot of different issues from the, the new Moon to Mars initiative to the small suborbital companies that are doing just amazing things to the robotic stuff that is continuing to maze on Mars. So a lot of exciting stuff going on right now. And an exciting time uh, in view of, as Ray Bradbury was saying, a new commitment to uh, manned, or shall I say, human space exploration. Right. And you know, the interesting thing with the new plan is that space people around the world have got to sort of get themselves, give themselves ownership to what's going on. You know, I mean, this is the kind of thing that we can't wait to be invited into this plan. We've got to go out there and support it because it's a great opportunity. It doesn't come down the road every every year. And, and you know, we're really looking forward to mobilizing letter-writing campaigns and Internet campaigns and fundraising and all this stuff to try to push this thing through Congress, at least in the first year. You had one major organization. There are many others. Each seems to have its own agenda, the Space Frontier Foundation, yeah. the Planetary Society. Right. How does the NSS fit in? I think it's we've got a great group of space organizations now. You know, we've got the Mars Society, and they're doing the Mars thing over here, and we've got the Planetary Society, and they're doing exploration. That's how I would broadly define it. And then you got NSS, and I think the advantage of NSS is going to be the following. It's going to be people to space. That's what I'm really passionate about. You know, I mean, I think it's time that, like, real people can go into space. We're right on the edge of it with the XPRIZE flights, and, uh, and that's what I think NSS should do going forward. Speaking of the Space Frontier Foundation, Executive Director of the National Space Society, we go to the founder of the Space Frontier Foundation, Rick Tumlinson. Rick, you, you had to go to the bar, I guess. Oh, yeah. You know, a, a good spacer has to have a beer in one hand and dreams of space in the other. You know, so. so what do you say to a guy who's uh, getting into uh, a business that you've been in for a long time, heading uh, one of the major space interest groups in the world? Uh, we all have to make sacrifices for the cause. <laughs> and, uh, you know, space is not a, a really profitable industry yet. Uh, but the thing that we can do now is sort of uh, fertilize it for the future so we can turn it into that 
a very profitable venture for everybody involved. And it's, it's an exciting time, and George is an incredible guy. He's going to do a great job. They've, they've kicked off the Yuri's Night campaign, which has really changed a lot of hearts and minds all around the world already. So, you know, now that this guy's going to have a real salary and a staff working for him, look out, Universe. It's going to be exciting. Let me ask you another question that I asked George. It's an interesting time to be in the space advocacy business. We have a president who um, has made a commitment, first one in a long time from that office, to uh, doing a lot more in space. Yeah, it's interesting. As hard a time as they uh, gave uh, George Bush for not being that smart, he's really one of the first presidents that could spell space. that we've had for a long time, basically since Kennedy. Um, I'm very excited about it. I, I hope that uh, we can keep it from being a partisan issue, separated from any particular party, because space is, is bigger than that. Space is beyond divisions. Space is a, a blank slate that we all have access to, that we can all paint our dreams on, no matter who we are or where we're from or what party we're from. Space is a non-partisan entity. You go for that, George? Amen, brother. We got we got we got two space preachers in the community, as far as I'm concerned. There's Ray and there's Rick, and we got to get both of them out there preaching. Gentlemen, I won't keep you. I'll let you go enjoy the party. Thanks very much for Thank talking you. to us. George Whitesides of the National Space Society and Yuri's Knight co-founder, joined by Rick Tomlinson, founder of the Space Frontier Foundation, at the April 12 celebration of human spaceflight. I'll be joined by Bruce Betts with What's Up right after this return visit from Emily. I'm Emily Lakdawalla, back with Q&A. What can we learn about Mars from Mars meteorites discovered on Earth? These rocks were ejected from Mars by meteorite impacts and then traveled through space for possibly tens of millions of years before landing here. It seems far-fetched that much can be learned about a whole planet from little bits of rock, but the minerals and structures present within a rock can be diagnostic of the environment in which the rock formed. For example, a rock with intergrown crystals of minerals like feldspar and pyroxene is diagnostic of a volcanic environment in which the rock was once molten. Got a question about the universe? Send it to us at planetaryradio at planetary.org. Be sure to provide your name and how to pronounce it and tell us where you're from. And now here's Matt with more Planetary Radio. Bruce, we figured we'd give our new listeners in Pennsylvania a real taste of California. So where are we? Well, we are studying fluid dynamics and aeolian processes from Cabrillo Beach, sunny Los Angeles. Yeah, out at the tip of the uh, Port of Los Angeles is where we are, surrounded by happy people at the beach where they have everything but waves. <laughs> Indeed, that's that's why it's a harbor, <laughs> that whole Port Harbor concept. That would explain the big ships, too. Speaking of big ships, <laughs> what's what's happening up there? What's up in the night sky? Night sky is beautiful. Still have our uh, four beautiful planets to look at. Though Mars is getting really dim. Venus is stunningly bright after sunset in the west. If you look just uh, just about what we say, six degrees of separation to the upper left is uh, Mars and Kevin Bacon. And if you go farther, you will see Saturn, which is much brighter, but not nearly as bright as Venus. And keep going across the sky, and that other really bright object high in the east 
our southeast after sunset is Jupiter. Good stuff to look at. Go out, see it. All of that happening tonight, and uh, you've got the same skies there in Pennsylvania, of course. Did you did you want to say anything special to our new listeners at WMUH in Allentown and Environs? Welcome. Don't let us scare you. Come back. Hear us some more in our trivia contest. We'll tell you about it in a little bit, and thanks for being the Keystone. What else have you got? Random Space Fact! Did you know, Matt, that on Mars, the main constituent of the atmosphere actually freezes out, carbon dioxide? This is very different than Earth, where what freezes out is a minor constituent water. Now, one of the interesting things, the real fact we're getting to here, is this creates effectively a minimum temperature on Mars that will not get colder than, and that is when the temperature at which carbon dioxide freezes out, forms dry ice on the surface, it will just stay at that temperature as it freezes out. And unless you freeze the whole atmosphere out, which you don't these days, you stay at the same temperature. That's absolutely fascinating. I did not know that. I had no idea. That's, that's one of your better random space facts. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Should we go on to the trivia contest? Let's do that. All right. Last week in our trivia contest, we asked you a question. Matt, what was it? Stars are classified uh, on a certain scale, right, by letter, and you ask people what letter uh, in this classification system is assigned to our star, the Sun. Yes, I did, because each of the stars are categorized by things like temperature, size. So how did we do? We did great, and so did the listeners. We continue to get lots of new listeners in addition to our regulars, and we hope that our uh, new friends in Pennsylvania will be uh, joining in, and we'll tell them how to do that in just a second. We got our usual very detailed answers. Uh, for, for example, our regular Hannah Beck, she had the right answer, but she went even beyond. She said a G2V star. So I guess it gets uh, even pickier, the classification system? Yeah, that's actually just because of the new model years. Uh, the previous suns, that wasn't true, but now they're breaking it down. Makes it sound more impressive. Really, and all they do is change the chrome a little bit. Well, yeah, essentially. I mean, it's basically the same frame and engine block that you had in your sun like 40 years ago. Well, Hannah, Hannah was right, but our real winner this week is Nicole Long. Nicole Long of Montgomery, Alabama, said that our sun is a G-type star. Yay! And what's she going to win? She's going to win a fabulous Planetary Radio t-shirt that will be sent to her. And if anyone else out there wants to win our beautiful Planetary Radio t-shirt, the one that says, give us 30 minutes and we'll give you the universe, then go to planetary.org slash radio and you'll find out how to enter our contest. Now, we do have to tell you folks who are listening in Pennsylvania, because you're hearing the show a few days later than the folks in California, the trivia contest question that you hear, ha, well, it's like this. The contest is over by the time you hear it, because we need to get these entries by Thursday at noon. So here's what you should do. Yeah, it's actually a time zone issue. We apologize. That's all I have to input. <laughs> Go to our website. That's planetary.org slash radio. Look up the current trivia question, and that's the one that you'll be able to get in on. You just have to get it to us by Thursday noon that week, as long as you get the current trivia question off the website. Yeah, you can send us the answer to the previous trivia question, and we will send you accolades. Yeah, we'll still, if we see you're from the Lehigh Valley, we'll, we're still going to mention you. How's that? What do you have for us this week? Uh, this week we have a beautiful trivia contest having to do with that minimum temperature I talked about on Mars and the random space fact. On Mars, what temperature does carbon dioxide freeze out at? At what temperature does carbon dioxide freeze out? And uh, we'll take the answers anywhere within 10 degrees Celsius or Kelvin. 
please go to planetary.org slash radio, enter our contest, and tell us that temperature. Brr. I can tell you, it's a lot colder than it is here right now. <laughs> it's not bad here. Windy, as people can probably tell, but not too bad. You know, it's California. We're sorry. <laughs> All right, everyone. Wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth, or wherever you're picking this up in the universe, go out, look up in the night sky, and uh, think about... Uh, think about... Uh, Daniel, Daniel, what do you think we should think about? Daniel Betts. How the if uh, if Mars has water has water on it. Go out, look on the night sky, think about whether Mars has water on it. Thank you, everyone. Good night. That was Bruce Betts, the director of projects for the Planetary Society, who joins us each week right here as the foghorn goes off. Well, not right here on Cabrillo Beach, but right here on Planetary Radio. Cowabunga! We're out of time. Planetary Radio will return with more from our solar system and beyond. Write to us at Planetary Radio at planetary.org. Thanks very much for listening. Have a great week.